read two other passages. Um, But starting here. Moreover, David said, this is David speaking to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He's talking to Saul and the Lord delivered me from the paw of a lion and a bear. If you've ever tried to take on a lion or a bear, you'd know that this is a big victory. Now let's take a look at uh, two other passages. Proverbs 24, 16. This will make sense in a, in a minute. Proverbs 24, 16. So you've got to go, at least I have you going in the right direction. Just keep going right. Psalm is in the middle. Then comes Proverbs. 24th chapter is near the end of the book, 16th verse, 24, 16. Now, this is one that you might have more familiarity with in your personal life. Because not, has anyone here fought a lion or a bear? Okay, so that, that's kind of unique. Proverbs 24, 16 might, might make a little more of a connection with where we live. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. In the last passage, James chapter 1, verses 22 and 24. James chapter 1, verses 22 and 24. I have an advantage because I already had them marked. So I'm there first, I think. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. James writes, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Paul wrote, and I, don't have, I won't have you turn this, but um, I'll read this one to you. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He was looking back on his entire life, and he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When I was in the business world, one of the things that, that, that I think a lot of people do really well outside of the church, and outside of even being Christians, at least what I found in the business world, what was done really well is everything that we ever did, if it was any kind of a significance, it was followed with what we called a post-mortem. Anyone familiar with that term? A post-mortem. It was to sit down and recap what went well, what went okay, what could be improved and done a lot better. And there'd be kind of an assessment, if you will, of, all right, that, that was really exactly what we wanted. That was, fell short, and this is areas, you've got to love this term. You, you probably like this if you've ever been in a review. Room for improvement, right? Everybody loves that when they are told. There's a couple of, you start off, you get the good part. The good news is you were the best in the company or the team or the best student in the following. But you know what's coming. But then there's a couple of areas we want to highlight. Areas 
for opportunity to improve. And if you're taking notes, we're not going to look back on our whole life like Paul was able to look back and kind of assess his whole life. But if you look in the three instances that we read, you have David, he's remembering two times that went really well for him. And they're confidence boosters for him. They're encouragement to him. Look, I defeated a lion. I defeated a bear. I'm pretty sure Goliath is no greater than those two. He could look back at a success, actually two, and he looked back favorably on those times. Then you have in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, which Solomon uh, is the writer of Proverbs, he talks about a righteous man falling seven times, but here's the good news, keeps getting up. Looking back, maybe you fell a few times in 2014. Maybe you fell more than seven, right? Spiritually speaking. Physically, maybe you fell a lot of times. I don't know. But looking back, he's saying, but the righteous man keeps getting up, keeps getting back off the mat. And then James, he looks and says, there's also... The problem of someone looking at the facts in a mirror and paying no attention to it. Looking in a mirror, seeing what the facts are, but immediately walking away and forgetting and not applying any of that. So then Paul, he's looking back at his whole life and he can say, I finished it. I completed those things. I did the things that the Lord asked me to do. And what I want us to do today is that our minds collectively, not, de- not in detail, but we're looking back and say, if we look back, this is the final Sunday of 2014. Today is the last Sunday of the year. There's no more Sundays you're going to get after today, at least in 2014. This is it. But I can look back. I, I, I like to look back and say, how did 2014 go with me and the Lord Jesus? How did it go? Looking back. Is there value in it? I believe there's tremendous value. And we can see in the scriptures, the writers of scriptures talk about looking. Now, not living in the past, but looking back and understanding what can we draw from it. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's word this morning, the wisdom of reflection. The wisdom of reflection. I believe a wise person reflects on things. Reflects on and looks back and ponders as I mentioned, in a business context or in a, in, a, in a sports context, after a team wins or loses, the team, what do they do? They break down the what? The film. They break down all the film. The plays that went right, the plays that went wrong. We didn't plan on them going wrong. Does anyone plan on them all failing? No. They're looking back and saying, what can we learn from it? We're going to look at three things together this morning. The ups the downs, and the opportunities. The ups, the downs, and the opportunities. The ups we really like, don't we? Everyone likes the ups. The up times, the things that uh, go very well. Now, from a spiritual perspective, some of you experienced the greatest possible victory. But I think ups, I think victories. David was, was citing two great victories that no one was there to watch except for some sheep. No one saw these victories. Matter of fact, 
Somebody said, how do we know this even happened? There was no one. Well, I've got a few sheep that saw it. They can tell you about it. Some victories in life no one sees but you and the Lord. But the greatest victory, the greatest possible victory that some of you experienced, even in this room, some of you were saved this past year. You came to Christ in 2014. The greatest possible victory. You surrendered to Christ. You asked him for the forgiveness of sin. And you were both bought and brought. Bought and brought by his blood into the victory of the cross and the resurrection. And that victory, all of us rejoice with you. Because when one gets saved, it's a victory for everybody. Amen? In the body of Christ. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices. When one soul comes into the kingdom, one soul, heaven rejoices. It did not rejoice over many other things that we would call victories, but it did rejoice over that. That, that thing. One soul, and some of you in here were came, uh, were brought into the family of God this year. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 through 5, it says this. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcame the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John writes, this is the greatest victory. The victory over sin and death that Jesus purchased, but then we participate in and receive as a free gift, salvation, greatest, greatest victory. It's, a, it's the high water mark of my entire life in the sense that if I didn't get saved, nothing else would matter after it. Great victory. Some of you had a role, speaking of you know, salvation as a great victory and, and the greatest, some of you had a role in seeing someone in Christ. Some of you were used by the Lord to bring someone to Christ in 2014, in this past 12 months. You invited someone here, or you shared your testimony uh, or the gospel to a neighbor or a coworker or a family friend. Some of you invested in lives. We'll be, we'll be at uh, Bon Air tonight with, with teenagers that are incarcerated. We live in Richmond. All the teenagers incarcerated in the state of Virginia are either right here in Richmond or in Beaumont, which is just outside of Richmond. We have a tremendous opportunity there. And many of you invested, and you saw kids saved this year. That's a victory in their lives, but it's also a victory that we got to participate in. Maybe you grew in your prayer life. That's a victory, that you grew in your prayer life. Some, some of you did. I don't know who. I'm hoping some of you did. Grew in your prayer life. Maybe you made time to pray, because if you don't make it, no one will make it for you. You made time to pray in your life. Some of you may have settled on a specific time to be alone with God in the, in the past year, and that's a victory. Maybe you begin praying, check this out, maybe you begin praying at free moments, just free moments where it never dawned on you in the past to pray. You're like, I got, a, I got like 30 minutes here of free time. I didn't expect to be sitting in the doctor's office well, you should always expect to sit longer in the doctor's office. But anyway, if for some reason you thought you were going to get in there at the time it was given to you, that doesn't always happen for me. Does it you? I have sometimes 45 minutes, and my doctor will say, I'm sorry you had to wait. I'm like, can we just plan it 45 minutes later? We just know that it's going to happen this way. <laughs> but it, it's a little extra time that you can be sitting there 
And if you have the Bible on your phone, or you, you can just start to talk and say, oh, Lord, I'll just pray about a couple of things that I didn't get to pray for, or I forgot to pray for, or you just brought to my mind. And just that's a victory if you start to pray at times you used to not even think about praying. It's the Lord growing us, the Lord maturing us, the Lord speaking to us in ways that maybe in the past went right over our heads. We just didn't see that. But maybe in this past year, you grew in that way. Perhaps you prayed with more faith. You actually started to believe what you were praying. Jesus said this is important. He said to pray believing. We talked about this uh, in both, um, uh, both of our studies in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus talks about praying to the Father and praying with believing. He talks about much of this in the book of John. Your prayers, maybe they were, maybe your prayers not only were more filled with faith, but maybe your prayers were now more Christ-centered and others-focused. Instead of prayers all about me, 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 and a little bit about I. But more Christ-centered, His glory, and more others-focused. But, but even when you prayed for others, you began praying, believing more that God would do these things in other people. You know, Jesus never gives up on anybody we shouldn't either in our prayer life, amen? Well, that person, they'll never change. Maybe they thought that about you and me. I know people thought that about me. People are praying for me. Up to, I got saved at 26. I guarantee you for the first 25 years, I know there was people that said, he will never come to Christ. Too arrogant, too prideful, too this, too that. And the Lord breaks down those walls. So you prayed believing, and you're praying more for others, and you're, that's a victory, you could look back. It's not a lion and a bear, but you could say, but I do remember when I didn't pray like that. I do remember when I didn't believe that. Maybe you saw prayers answered. That's a victory. Say, hey, wow, for the first time, I actually saw prayers answered. E.M. Bounds said that's actually the evidence of our prayer life. It's not that we pray, but that we actually start to see prayers answered. That we've now entered into that communion with God. Not every single prayer exactly what we want, but you start to see answer prayer, and those are victories. Some of you may have taken on new responsibilities. I know some of you in this room did. Took on new responsibilities. Maybe you headed up a ministry or you, you uh, served in some capacity here in the church. You took on new responsibilities. And in taking on those re- responsibilities, you saw fruit in your life. Those are victories. Some of you started doing a Bible study with your family for the first time ever. I'm not talking about every single night. Although some of you did. Some of you read uh, right after dinner or something. Some of you started doing a Bible study with your family. Some of you dads started for the first time ever to open up the Word with your kids. That's a victory. Some of you started actually asking your kids what's going on in their life. You know, most people don't spend but a couple minutes. I think some studies, it was like less than two minutes a day, parents actually asking their kids something about their life. That's a defeat. But when we start actually asking, that's a victory. Just being involved, being there, telling the kids you love them more often. These are things that are victories. Looking back and say, those are things that were ups. Those were things that were victories. Those were things that I took new steps in the right direction. And I'm sure there's many, many more. And the Lord wants to, you know, David was saying, look, it's because God's given me a couple of victories that I know he's capable of giving me more. Right? That's what David's saying. He said, look, I defeated a lion. 
I defeated a bear. This, that passage, we actually were in Israel. I've got this passage. We actually went to the, uh, the Valley of Elah there. And uh, I have this passage all marked up in my Bible. And it's one of those passages that it's a neat story. You know, David tells about you know, what, what I've had happen in, the, in my past life. But I revert back so many times. That one little verse, 1737, I revert back many times. I'll be just going through something. I'll say, Lord, I've seen you kill lions. I've seen you kill bears in my life. I know you can do this too. Just requoting the scriptures itself. So I, I've never really killed a lion or a bear, but, but metaphorically, I have seen victories that, for me, are pretty big deals. And I can look back and I'll just requote those things to myself because the enemy tries to tr- convince us that we'll always see defeat. And David's like, no. All the rest of you are petrified of Goliath, but I'm not. And partially I'm not, not just because I have way bigger faith, but partially because I've already seen God move on a couple of occasions. And if he didn't help me, I would have been killed both times. The ups. It's good to look back. We want to look back and understand victories. We want to understand how the Lord wrought the victory. Children of Israel were never supposed, they were never supposed to forget the parting of the Red Sea. Guess what? They forgot the parting of the Red Sea. They were never supposed to forget that. You're never supposed to get the day, of, the day of your salvation. When I first saved, our pastor down in Fort Lauderdale, he said, he would say often, he said, when people would say, they'd come up, they'd be moaning, they'd be whining, they'd have a you know, thing, he'd say, let me ask you a question. The second you get into heaven, will any of this matter? No. Well, then keep your perspective back on what Christ has already done for you. And salvation is like our Red Sea experience. God brought us out of certain death into life, but we still have to look back on individual victories too and remember them. And I, I think there's great value in reflecting on 2014 saying, where did I see victory? I hope that all of you have some areas where you can say, yeah, I saw some victory there. And then why did you see victory? Well, spiritually speaking, it will be wherever we saw spiritual victory, our hearts were in the right place with the Lord. We were in tune with God. We were in tune with the Lord Jesus. We were being led by the Spirit. We were led by the Word of God. Anything that wasn't, not going to be a victory. What about the downs? That's, that's the ups. What about the downs? Did anyone have any downs in 2014? Or was it all perfect, smooth sailing, everything went great? No. Plenty of downs. These are defeats. Now, they're not end-of-life defeats, if David didn't defeat the lion or bear, he doesn't have anything to say, right? He's not there. There are other defeats, as Proverbs talks about, falling and scraping your knees pretty good, you know, a face plant or two. Those aren't fun. But usually, they're not not life-ending. They can be embarrassing, They can be painful, they can be discouraging, they can be very difficult times, but they're not career-ending, life-ending, marriage-ending, but they can still be difficulties, the defeats. Now, spiritually speaking, maybe you were under conviction by the Holy Spirit 
to help support a missionary. But you convince yourself there's no way you could do it, so you didn't do it. That's a defeat. If the Lord was prompting and we said no, that's a defeat. But it's not the end because the righteous person can fall. It's not only seven times. If you fall eight, it's not like it's over. Right? It's, it's, it's giving the idea of a, of a repetitive nature that we fall sometimes. And we fall at the same thing. Some of you thought, I thought I would never do that sin ever again. Twelve times later. Fourteen times later. I've listened to um, you know, Brother K.P. O'Hannon say, Lord, I can't believe I did this again. That's my Indian accent. <laughs> Hope you like it. I did a Scottish one a couple of weeks ago, if you recall. I'll work on German and a few others in 2015. But, but maybe you thought, man, Lord, I, I thought I'd have full victory over that, but I failed again. I, I, I committed the same sin. I thought I would never, ever tell another person off at the office, and I did it again. And I made a fool of myself, and they all thought that I was the really loving, gentle Christian, and I lost it. And I'm not talking about like crazy. I hope that didn't happen. But just, you knew that you compromised your testimony and instead of being gentle, you weren't. And you gave them a piece. Just a, I only gave them one-tenth of my mind. But it was enough to put the dagger in. I didn't turn it. And it wasn't in the back. I did it to their face. But later... There's conviction of that. Like, that's a defeat. Now in the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every every Blessing, one of the stanzas goes like this. You may be familiar with it. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Written many years ago, I believe in the 1700s. Prone to wander. That was the writer. That's us. Those are defeats. We wander away. When sheep wander away, what happens to them? They get stuck in thorns and thistles. They get roughed up. They get chased by a wolf. And the shepherd has to run and catch them. Maybe they only suffer a bite mark. The shepherd gets there just in time. The Lord gets there just in time with us a lot, doesn't he? Because we're prone to wander. We're prone to fall. Lifeguards all summer. Don't run! What do the kids do 30 seconds later? And then when I've seen it, I was a lifeguard for two summers. I've seen kids with just blood running down their face. Anyone ever seen this? Happens every summer. Sign says no running. Lifeguard says no running. Parents say no running. Every human in the place says no running. Kid still runs. Falls, 
crying everywhere, blood everywhere. Usually it's, it's just surface wounds every now and then. We, I've seen some that emergency room and everything, stitches. And yet we're prone to do opposite of what the Lord is telling us to do, and we're prone to fall and fall again and fall again. You may have not only felt like wandering, but maybe you did wander. Maybe not into full-blown sin or rebellion or full-blown rebellion, but what does happen is we wander, we replace our first love. That's what happens. Jesus writing to the letters of the churches, say you've left your first love. And that leads to defeat. When we love anything more than Jesus, we're going to fall. And he'll let us sometimes, parents do this too, sometimes you let your kids take a good spill. It's a measured approach, right? Because you don't, you don't really feel like going to the emergency room. But a certain amount is good to realize what I told you is true. This will hurt you. The Lord's, the, the, everything that the Lord tells us is true. It's for our benefit to walk in his ways, to abide in Christ, to stay in a right relationship. But when we wander, we fall. When we fall, we have defeat. We have defeats. These are down times. These are valleys. We leave our first love. Maybe you didn't train Looking back on 2014, truly looking and assessing, maybe you didn't train and disciple your kids as you had planned to do. Looking back, say, really, if I look at the whole year, I didn't really disciple my children the way Jesus would have me do it. The way you need to, the way you feel the scriptures have taught us we need to. You know, Moses said when they're rising up, when they're when they're walking in the way, when you're walking in the way with them, anywhere, anytime, constantly. I didn't meet that standard, did you? I can look back and see plenty of times. Dr. Erwin Lutzer said in his book, listen to the title of this book, Failure, the Back Door to Success. And he quotes from C.S. Lewis. And he says, C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters vividly describes Satan's strategy. He gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures, and from then on, the battle is won. David was not preoccupied with all of his failures. He remembered the victories. Now, it's important to know what went wrong in our failures, but not be preoccupied with our failures. Do you see the difference? We, ne- we have to understand failure. We have to understand Ultimately, failures of sin are always our fault. They're not God's and they're not everybody else's. This is what we want to do. Right? But the failures really are our own. They're our own choices. They're our own hearts. They're our own temptations, which James talks about. Well, the temptations, not necessarily, but, but our giving in to them are our own and their defeats are our own. But yet the Lord says, even though you fell seven times, I'm going to pick you back up. He used to have some hydrogen peroxide in here. Anyway. I could show you. Remember the last Sunday I reached under here and there was hydrogen peroxide? It would have been a great illustration, but it's gone now. It's replaced with real water. But, um, you know, the parent cleans the child off. 
And that's the Lord does that with us. So even though you failed, you set out to do this. You set out to disciple. It did, you didn't do exactly as you had desired to do, as you prayed to do, as you hoped to do. You failed in this. You sinned here again. You didn't think you would. You did it again. Guess what? God says, I still love you. Now, let's get up. Clean off. And go forward. If David would have sat and thought about all the failures, he wouldn't have taken on Goliath. Notice he didn't say, do you think David, all the time as a shepherd, didn't have any times where he failed, where he lost a sheep? Right? You think there was never a time where he said, yeah, and there was the time that I missed and the wolves grabbed three sheep one night. I don't know. Because there are failures. There are things. You can dwell on the failures. The Lord says, learn from those. Get back up. The righteous man falls seven times. Gets back up. Now, we're not, we're not to take lightly failures. Looking back on them, some failures, people will continue to fail the rest of their life until there's genuine repentance of. It's not enough, even though uh, the scriptures tell us that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we have an advocate with the Father, we can't be flippant about failures. We have to say, Lord, genuinely turn from them, especially if they are known sin. There's things that people are giving into that they know are sin. They've got to cut off the source and repent and do a 180, not a 360, because you're right back doing it, a 180, Go in the opposite direction, and but you're praying for the Lord's help. You can't overcome any temptation, any sin in your own self, but you say, Lord, I purpose in my heart. As Job said, a covenant with my eyes to say, I will not go that way. God help me to keep that which I've committed, and he will. It's repentance. Now, there's people who will say a quick, I'm sorry, and that's flippant, and that's, well, some folks, that if they live that way, they're not even saved. But if we truly are sorry for those things, God will clean us, forgive us, and we don't have to live in misery. We don't have to live in bogged down guilt. We move forward, and they are failures, and we are human, and we're going to have them. Anyone who says he has no sin deceives himself, James said. We're going to have those things, but genuine repentance is required to move past, and then turn them over to the Lord. Like F.B. Meyer said, Lord, I claim your purity. I claim your patience. I claim your character. And that's moving forward past those failures. Now, by the way, not all of our failures are issues of sin. Would we agree with that? Not all failures are actually issues of sin. Many are. Perhaps even most are. I would say probably most are. Most issues are our own sin nature. Most failures are our own sin nature, but not all. There are failures that God just allows in our life. Sometimes, despite our sincere efforts and our purest intentions, things don't go according to plan. Would you all agree with that? The things that you set out to do, and they still failed. I've had them in the ministry. Things that I prayed over, that I wanted to do a certain way, Lord, this is for you. In my mind, total failure. Have you had those? In your personal walk, in your personal life, maybe in a marriage, maybe a ministry you have been a part of, maybe a ministry you've run, sometimes things just fail 
Imagine how Noah thought. Lord, I've been preaching a long time. So far, only my family's buying this. Guess what? That's all that bought it. Even when they went into the ark. Total failure in his mind. But God will allow us to experience failure. Sometimes they're perceived failures. Sometimes they may actually be failures. Sometimes they're just things that God allows us to perceive as failures for a period of time. But God allows failures in our life for a number of reasons. One, I believe God allows some failures. Again, these are not based on sin. These are things that we just, we tried to do it for the Lord, and it still didn't work, still failed, just to keep us humble. Just to keep us humble. If we never had failures, imagine how big our heads would get. God allows failures just to keep us humble and remember it's not about you. It's not about your ability. Some are to show us that nothing bears fruit until he causes it to bear fruit. Are we okay with that? Some things, God says, I'm not going to allow this to really succeed until you know and believe that nothing happens that bears fruit until I say it bears fruit. But Jesus says, it all, I am the one that holds the key. He holds the keys to death, to life, to things bearing fruit. I told you I've seen this with my grass. When I've seen it grow on asphalt, but not grow where I fertilized it to the nth degree and did everything exactly like it said, and that patch refuses to grow, and across the street, right out of the concrete, it grows. I'm like, I don't understand this. Because God reminds us, he reminds us that he's the one that causes anything to grow. Sometimes he'll allow failure to keep us humble, sometimes just to let us know he's the one that causes it to bear fruit. Sometimes, this is a good one, sometimes God allows failure in small areas to keep us from having massive failures in big areas. That's a good protection, isn't it? That's a really good protection. You can look back in your life and say, wow, I'm glad that didn't go well because I was about to do such and so after it. And it caused you to take a turn, and God allowed you to fail purposely so you wouldn't take a walk off a cliff, so to speak. Keeps us from bigger failures. Some failures, and God loves this one, are to make us and cause us to pray more. They're to, they're to, God lights a fire under our prayer life through failure, doesn't he? It's to, he's lighting the fire. I want you to pray more. I want you to believe more. I want you to get into the Word more because you're still leaning to your own understanding. Right? All thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path. Sometimes we're too smart for our own good. We have experience. Why do we need to pray? We are experienced in this. We're really good at it. And God says, watch me let you fail. Pray more, in the word more. Sometimes it's meant to stiffen our resolve. Sometimes it's amazing what failure, once, once a person comes to Christ, God can use failure. Now, some people are naturally, the way they're born, they're naturally competitive, and some people aren't. Some people, if you hit them on the head with a board and it doesn't kill them, they're going to come right back at you, Right? Other people are going to run the other direction. 
But spiritually speaking, God wants everyone to resolve, or the stiffened resolve, and in it, he even told the prophet Jeremiah, I'll make your face strong against them. He told Ezekiel, you're going to have a face of you know, flint. You're going to be able to have a, a stiff resolve even when the odds are against you, even when things are coming against you, even when it feels like everything is failure, and for the prophets, everything felt like failure at times, it stiffens the resolve. And the Lord wants us all to develop that. Some people, again, they have it in certain aspects, but not everybody has that nature, but God wants us spiritually to all have that nature, to not give up, to get back up. It says the righteous man gets back up doesn't say he stays down. If you ever watched a boxing match, you're wondering why some guy, like, why is he getting up again? How many of you watched the Ebo Elder video? He got back up and won that thing. It looked like there was no way, it looked like there was no way he was winning that match. None. And, and any, any, any sane mother would say, son, stay down. But it was the Lord who was telling him, get back up. And he won it. Stiffens the resolve. Failure before salvation, maybe it makes you go deeper into sin and farther away from the Lord. But after salvation, failure can make you say, Lord, I'm going to press forward. It actually can be a motivator. I know, it, it's interesting how this worked. Peter Marshall wrote this. He said, an assistant of Thomas Edison. You guys all know who Thomas Edison is, right? These light bulbs, you can thank him for them, right? Uh, Assistant of Thomas Edison once tried to console the inventor over the failure to achieve in a series of experiments what he had set out to find. And his assistant said, it's too bad, he said, to do all that work without results. Oh, said Mr. Edison, we have lots of results. We know 700 things now that won't work. For him, it stiffened his resolve. It, he believed that that was 700 ways that were crossed off the list, that we were that much closer to what's actually going to work. And the Lord will actually take us. The children of Israel, they had to wonder sometimes, certainly jo, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who were promised the promised land, why they were going in circles around the wilderness. This seems like year after year of defeat. But for Joshua and Caleb, they were being prepared for victory. Don't take the failures. Some of the failures in our sin, we need to repent of them. We need to confess them, be cleansed, receive the grace of the Lord, and don't live in shame and guilt. But the failures that God allows that aren't sin-related, we need to accept them as God saying, I'm teaching to pray more. I'm, making you, I'm stiffening your resolve. I'm lighting a fire underneath you. These things will be beneficial in the long run. And we can't let our failures rule our feelings. His failures will, will channel and rule our feelings. D.L. Moody said, obedience means marching right on whether we feel like it or not. Many times we go against our feelings. Faith is one thing, feeling is another. D.L. Moody says, don't let your feelings, feelings of failure, living in defeat, says, don't even listen to it. March past it. Obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. Obedience to the Lord. That is the victory. We're going to have downs, aren't we? We're going to have down times. We're going to have valleys. We're going to have failures. And the Lord says, you've got to remember, I'll bring you through all of them. And I want to look back. I don't know about you, but I look back at all. I can't even remember all the failures, thank goodness. Right? 
I can't remember all of them, but certain ones I can remember, and I want to learn from those certain ones. Why? Because I want to, if those are the things the Lord says, I want you to turn it this way and move forward like this, then those things were really beneficial me being more effective for the Lord in the days ahead. I don't know how many years I have left on earth, but I want them to be effective for Christ. Which brings us to the third thing as we kind of look back on 2014. And you need to do this in your personal life, but we're just talking uh, right now from the Scripture's perspective why it's important, why it's valuable, why it's the, uh, the real wisdom of the mature to do so, to look back. And we want to look now as we come in our final thing this morning, opportunities, the opportunities. We looked at the ups, we looked at the downs. What about the opportunities? What do I mean by that? We want to take a close look at what we're called as believers in Jesus Christ to be doing with our lives and compare what we're doing with what we're called to be doing. That makes sense? This is the opportunities. What the Lord has called us to do with our lives, what we're doing with our lives. And we have to be honest with this, don't we? We've got to be real honest with because you know you can't really hide anything from the Lord anyway, right? You Lord, I know what your word says. How's my life compared to what you're saying in its totality? Where were we at? And we look back on the last 12 months. Where were we at with the opportunities that were afforded to us and what we did with those opportunities? Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them that we should walk in them. But guess what? There's times we don't walk in them. That's the downs. That's the failures. Those are the defeats. The ones that were based on sin specifically. Again, some of those failures God allows purposely for our good and our growth. But many of them are based on our own craving for things that are ourselves, our own self-centeredness, our own selfish desires, our own everything. Me. I need this. I, I, I can't get by with it. This is important to me. This is more important to me than what Jesus is asking me to do. And so these are missed opportunities. They were afforded to us. That God says, I had prepared. We'll all someday realize the opportunities we had missed. God's pretty gracious with us. <laughs> you know, all of us can look back, and there's opportunities that we missed. Uh, there's gaps in our life. There's blind spots that we didn't even see. We don't even know they were failures because they're just blind spots. That's why God's given you a spouse, to help you find those blind spots, right? You all know what I'm talking about, right? Spouses are really good at your blind spots. And then you can't even call them blind spots because they're brought up enough times that they're no longer blind spots. They're like big neon blinking signs, but even the people that aren't your spouse, they know some of your blind spots. Some of you know some of mine. You're probably hoping that I find them in 2015. That's fine. <laughs> Keep praying. And, you know, most people, believe it or not, are aware of them. You think they're not. They are. And some of them, that's, they live in defeat because they are aware of those blind spots. And they're trying really hard. And you said, instead of you beating them up about it, put your arm around them and pray with them. Right? That's what the Lord wants. But there's opportunities 
that we've all missed. Gaps. The things we intended to do and never got around to it. Right? Never got around to it. I was going to write that letter to cousin so-and-so, just encourage him, mention something about Jesus. When, would I, when did I say that? January. And it's December the 28th. Okay. Some things were missed for different reasons. Some things were missed because we just weren't ready for them. We weren't ready. Some things we weren't mature enough to even do them. We weren't spiritually mature enough to even carry it out. Some things we weren't trained for, and that may be someone else's fault too. I mean, one of the things that we're called as a church to do is disciple. One of the reasons why we're, we're doing the Friday night um, once a month is so we can get better at helping disciple. What you're hearing here, you might on a Friday night want to ask more questions about some of the things that we're discussing here. And it can be feedback where you can actually say something and we can point to another verse and say, that's a great question. Here's how you overcome it. Here's what the verse says. So we want to be, be better stewards of discipling one another in this fellowship. We have, we have opportunities to grow. We have not only opportunities that we can grow, we have opportunities where we must grow. It's not even debatable. The Lord tells me, I want you to grow in this. I can't tell him, well, I don't really think that's important. I don't ever say that. But by our attitude, sometimes we do, right? We, we, know not, we know not to say those words. We just kind of wonder if he'll forget. Missed opportunities. We weren't ready for them. We weren't trained for them. We haven't properly planned for them. We haven't really put in the time to plan for these things. We haven't prayed. That's the big one. We haven't really prayed over it. So it never happened. It wasn't bathed in prayer. We didn't prioritize it. On the list of things that are important, it was way down the list. And it might have been something the Lord was saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. But you didn't prioritize it. I didn't prioritize it. Some things we didn't even realize never even entered our mind. Because we so were focused horizontally, we didn't see the opportunities at all. Remember Jesus, John chapter 4? He said, the fields are white under harvest. They just said, what are you talking about? Not harvest time. They couldn't see it. And he's like, when your eyes become my eyes, you won't miss this. You will not miss it. You won't miss the woman at the well. You won't think it's, well, I can't talk to her because she's a Samaritan. You'll say, no, I must talk to her because the Holy Spirit's leading me to. You'll see the fields that are white and harvest. Something we didn't see them at all. We didn't realize them. But planning, getting trained, praying over these things, preparing, prioritizing, they're all important. But the biggest one is prayer. They asked K.P. O'Hannon, I mentioned K.P. earlier, uh, some ministry was interviewing him, and they couldn't believe how God had blessed the ministry. I can't remember how many churches they open every year in, uh, in Southeast Asia, but it's, it's a blow, mind-blowing number. It's like, it's like seven churches a day or something like a planet. And people were asking, what is, what is it, how does... How did y'all do this? What kind of plans did you put in place? And KP says, plans are very important, and we believe in good planning. But we bathe it in prayer far more than planning, even though planning is important. And they're both important. I think one of the problems, the biggest problem I think that I have diagnosed uh, in my own life sometimes and in the church at large is we don't pray it near enough, 
and we don't plan for it. Those two big things. I look back, say things that we didn't pray over near enough, and we didn't really give it the right time of planning. And setting aside time to sit down, say, Lord, praying over this, and then the Lord gives the plans. And then you have to take time to go through them, and you have to put them together. And it's not, it's not a simple process, so I'll give this five minutes. Many have done little of either. They haven't prayed a lot, haven't planned a lot, and so there's a lot of missed opportunities in our lives for the Lord. Think about this. January's coming up. The next week I'm going to do a different topical message looking forward. I hope you'll be here for that. But if you, if you look at 2015 coming up, and you were to say, you know what, we're going to do something completely different. In our family, we're going to take a day to do just praying over things and planning for the year. It's interesting. Companies do this. They don't, they don't pray. But they'll take three-day off-sites and plan three-year plans, five-year plans, ten-year plans. School teachers will do it. Business leaders do it. People hardly ever do it in their personal life. No planning. And, and of course, ours is not just planning. We're praying over those things. Lord, we're getting guidance from the Lord. Lord, what would you have us do? What are the things that are hindering us from being more freed up to serve you? We usually, this is what, this is what the average people do with all of their free time. Think about it. This is what people do with their free time. We rest. We have leisure activities. We have entertainment and home projects. Generally speaking, we say, well, you forgot grocery shopping and getting the gas. I, I'm, that's, that's the normative stuff that everybody has to do. But generally speaking, if you've already gotten the groceries and you've already gotten the gas and you've already cut the grass and you've done a few things that people have free time left over, it's going to be entertainment, it's going to be leisure activities, home projects, or some type of um, just rest. Now, those are important. We have to build in times with family. We have to build in times of rest. We have to build times that we can actually kind of just have some leisure time with family. I'm not against any of those things. I have to build in time for those that are good for us physically, they're good for us spiritually. But that can't be the entire ball of wax, is what the Lord would say. So when, if we take the time to pray and plan, we might find out we had a lot of missed opportunities that we never saw at all. Lives that could have been touched. Lives that could have been impacted. You've heard the old saying, failing to plan is planning to fail. I used to hear that in business all the time. Drove me crazy when I thought I had done enough planning. Someone said, no, you didn't. Now, they were usually right. I just didn't want to hear it. Right? That's the way we are. We don't like The Lord will pinpoint and say, no, no, no. You didn't pray like I asked you to do, and you didn't plan like I asked you to do. The Jesus did both. He not only prayed, but he would say, and I have prepared, I go to prepare a place for you. Aren't you glad he's actually planning on our behalf? He does both. And oh, by the way, you'll find a donkey, and it'll be here, and you'll go up in the room, and everything will be right where you need it, because he planned, not just prayed. He had everything in place. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to fulfill this prophecy and this prophecy. And it was all laid out. And we can learn from that. We need to be more proactive in these things. Now, I'm making a distinction between failure 
and missed opportunity. I'm making a distinction this morning. Uh, you could make the argument that they overlap, and I get what they do. But I'm making the distinction that spiritually speaking, the Lord wants us to look back on missed opportunities and begin to pray over and plan, say, Lord, I want to better address these in my life. How can I be more effective with my wife and children? How can I be more effective in the ministry? How can I do things that actually are helping grow the body of Christ? A.W. Tozer said, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency is a deadly foe. We can't be complacent. We want to say, Lord, show me those areas that I can improve, that I can grow in. Think about this. What if we all had... What if we all had less financial commitments and more time? Do you know how much in bondage many in the church are to financial commitments and I just don't have time? People say, hey, would you like to help? I don't have the money. Would you like to help? I don't have the time. What about you? Time or money? Time, money, time, money, time, money. Don't have it, don't have it, don't have it. And Jesus has both of these in abundance. Do you believe that? He has both of them in abundance. You have not because you ask not. And why? Because you ask amiss. James says you because you want to spend it on your own pleasure. God says, I will give you. Here's the deal. I really believe this. The Lord, if we pray, if we as believers, if we pray and pursue these goals with the heart's desire to spend more time with Jesus, and more time blessing and serving other people, I believe we'll see those goals answered. I do. If our hearts are in the right place, the Lord says, Lord, I want to have more time, and I want to be out from under financial bondage. The credit card bills, the mortgage, the upside-down car loans, all these things that people have, uh, the, all the things that we think we need. We think we need eight new products in the house, and God says, you only need one of those eight. You might need one of them. The other seven, you wanted a different color. Right? And God says, I'm here to tell you, the color does not impact how that cooks. True? So when we look at those things through God's perspective, not what we want it to be, but God says, I want you to see it through my eyes. You'll have more lion and bear victories and less defeats. And so will I. And I'm as guilty as anybody. I look at these things, the Lord says, and I'm talking to you too. Which he is, always. And I'll have to look at those things. And so those things that are hindrance to us are missed opportunities. Because someone say, I don't have time because I must do the 12th home project of the year. So I don't have time to go help with the kids that are dying and on their way to hell over here. Because that, I don't have time. We're adding yet another important project. Important to who? Not to the Lord all the time. Some of these things are important, some are not. Are they to be a blessing to other people? Everything we've been given, Lord, I want to use it all for you. As we come to a close, we must and we need to grow in victories, right? We want to grow in victories. David wasn't done with lion and bear. Then he had Goliath. After Goliath would come other countries, other armies, other nations. It didn't end with Goliath, folks. That was not the end of the story. You know, David later fell hard because he wasn't out in the battle when he was supposed to be. True? David got complacent. 
later on, he wasn't then walking in the power of the Lord. He was not looking to do God's will. He wanted to build bigger palaces. He wanted to build bigger things. And he wanted to take a census of the people. And he, he for a while, got caught up in his own successes, and they became failures. That's also something to be very careful with. But the Lord wants us to grow in victories. The lion, the bear, Goliath, move forward from these things. And in 2015, the Lord wants to see your family, my family, Calvary Chapel Richmond, have victories we've never had before. And they'll come through prayer, and they'll come through planning, and they'll come from us prioritizing the things that the Lord says are important. We'll look at more of that next week. But we need to, number one, to have those areas of growth, we have to take time to pray. We have to take time to pray that we're led by the Spirit. We must take time to pray. We must plan and prioritize according to the Word of God. Take a day. Take a day with your family. Take a Saturday and say, you know what, instead of going and doing another leisure activity or watching three movies today or whatever else it is, say, we're going to take a day and we're going to look at the calendar, we're going to pray over it, and we're going to plan some things as a family that are going to actually free us up, more available plan and prioritize according to the Word of God. Not according to what everyone else is doing. Well, everyone does this list. If their list isn't found in this list, why are we always following it? True? If their list matches this list, we're in good shape. If their list doesn't match this list, we're being deceived. And then we're running like a rat on a treadmill. Or a mouse. They're not usually rats. But some people do have pet rats. I don't know why, but some people do. Number three, we prepare according to the wisdom of the word, and we use and plan to use the talents and abilities God's given us. Some of you here might have some gifts and talents we don't even know you have. God knows you have them, and they could be used for him. But they're not, because not enough time, not enough money, not available, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And the Lord says, I'll show you that, remember, he has the key to everything. I'll show you the key how you can actually do that. And I'll relieve some heavy burdens in your life all at the same time. Isn't that a great deal? Because I'll take the burdens off, and I'll give you the things that you actually are able to do for me. Why? Why Why do we we want even to go this way? Well, we want to do these things. We want to pray. We want to plan and prioritize, and we want to prepare. Pray plan, and prepare. We want to do those three things. Why? Number one, so that we're fulfilling the will of the Father. And what? Being conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus came to do the plan of the Father, the will of the Father, the plan. It was all architect and blueprinted. If you were here for Christmas, everything was laid out. Exactly. Bethlehem, down to Egypt, back up to Nazareth. Everything was laid out. We were prepared for good works to walk in them. True? So number one, we're doing these that we would fulfill the will of the Father and being conformed to Jesus Christ. And number two, we're doing them to reach out in the power of the Holy Spirit with intentionality. We're intentionally reaching out. We're told to go and make disciples. And you have to have intentionality to do this. We're reaching out with intentionality of impacting lives with the love and the truth, and the grace of Christ. That's why. Number one, to be conformed. Number two, to go with intentionality, but not in our own strength, because we'll fail anyway. 
It's in our own strength. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, that we're available and flexible for things we didn't even see coming when God lays them in our lap. The unexpected things that God says, that's for you. That wasn't in the plan, I know. Those are the things I slip in when you're not expecting them. But because you had prayed, because you had planned, and because you had prioritized, I made you flexible enough. Remember I told you a story when I was driving on my day off and I picked up the guy on the side of the road? Which I don't advise people to do. The whole Lord told me to do it. My whole day went different than I thought. But it, but it was a free day. And I made it available. And it was, a, it was an odd day in many ways. But there's things like that in your life where the Lord says, and you've probably had them before where your day didn't go any way that you expected it to go, right? But if you're walking the Lord, you'll look back and say, that wasn't a wasted day. That was one of the best days. Isn't that great? That's the third thing. You'll become flexible and available for when God calls for such a time as this. Let's, let's, um, as we close, A.W. Tozer said, let us practice the fine art of making every work a priestly ministration. Let us believe that God is in all of our simple deeds and learn to find him there. Every act, planning, preparing, as a priestly ministry, that, Lord, we're doing this for you, not for ourselves. Amen? Let's, I just pray that you're able to look back and reflect, and the Lord would show you to learn from those ups, from those downs, and learn what are the opportunities, Lord, that you want us to walk in. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's my desire that we would all Lord, just look back, not with our own wisdom, but, Lord, with your eyes and see, Lord, you've been great in helping us have victories. Lord, you've carried us through our own failures, but, Lord, we want to learn from these things. We want to see the gaps. We want to see the blind spots. We want to see the opportunities. And, Lord, we want to see them not just because we uh, become better, but that we come conform to the image of Jesus, that we're reaching out with your hands and your feet and your love to a lost and dying world. And Lord, that we're flexible enough to be available when you call us to a specific need. Maybe one that wasn't even in the plans, but you had preordained it. And Lord, we ask that you would give us this wisdom. You give us this vision. You give us this understanding, Lord, but we would have a desire for it that comes from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in song?